You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome back. This is Apple Insider Podcast, episode 161. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me is Neil Hughes. Victor, how you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> I really am. Now, you have been watching the iOS betas as they've been coming out, haven't you? Yeah, you know, it's this weird thing where I will have to decide um, when a beta comes out, do I want to take the risk and put it on my main phone? Do I want to break out an old phone? Uh, do I want to just wait this one out because it's not that big of an update? Because, you know, you can get public betas and what have you. Um, but uh, it's not always a great idea. So um, I, You've been watching this one because I, I think, and let me get this right, you know, looking in the crystal ball and, and checking the tea leaves, I think you're looking forward to AirPlay 2. Am I correct? I am very excited about AirPlay 2. I am uh, the, the world's biggest AirPlay fan, so yes. It, it's my understanding. I mean, we published this on the site that AirPlay 2 appears to have been removed from the third iOS 11.3 and tvOS 11.3 betas. Correct. I mean, we're dealing with a beta here, so... Uh, you know, I, I don't really view it as that big of a deal. The, the question is, is it going to ship in the final 11.3? So Apple has said that AirPlay 2 support is coming later. Um, there are no AirPlay 2 speakers on the market currently. The HomePod will need a software update. Uh, with some of the betas, you could use uh, Apple TV running beta as an AirPlay 2 speaker device. But uh, other than that... Uh, it has been limited. So, I mean, you can't really complain right now because it's beta. Things are going to get put in, put out. Hopefully, it does arrive with 11.3, which is coming this spring. Um, but the fact that they pre-announced it with a bunch of features lets you know that it's going to it's gonna be a little while. We're not going to get it in the next, you know, couple weeks. Right. And when we say that it's been removed, that's because we, you were able to use tvOS as an AirPlay 2 device, and now you can't? Right. Okay. Making sure I understand that, making sure it's really clear. I am looking forward to it. I, I mean, my hope is that AirPlay 2 will function in some ways similar to the way that Chromecast has functioned, where you can go ahead and just m do multiple broadcasts, multiple different speakers, and, and really select where you want to direct the audio around. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the cool things about using a Chromecast with one of their voice-activated Google Home speakers is being able to kick off things by voice and direct it to the the speaker or TV target by voice based on what you've named those devices. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited about is the HomeKit integration with AirPlay 2. Yeah, and, and currently that integration is... How would you characterize that integration at this moment with HomePod? Non-existent. Yeah. The, the only, but you the, see the HomePod the in your HomeKit, right? Yeah, you see it in there, and that's where you'll do the eventual software updates and changes and that sort of stuff. You can change some settings in there. Um, but um, we've written about it before on the site. I'm pretty disappointed that the integration to HomeKit is non-existent right now. So it would be really cool. So I have a, a, a scene set, for example, uh, uh, not a scene, I, I don't know what you call it, a task, a, a there, there's automation. automation, thank you, is the word I'm looking for, um, where if you if I unlock the front door to my apartment 
and then after I unlock it, I turn off the lights in the kitchen, which are the kitchen is where you walk into my apartment. Um, then that will automatically turn off all of the lights in the apartment because clearly I'm leaving. There would be no other situation in which I would unlock the door and then turn off the kitchen lights. So um, it would be really cool to integrate the HomePod into that and to say, hey, I'm leaving. I'm turning off these lights. Turn off all the other lights and pause the music on the HomePod. Right. You, you, well, you just create a uh, a scene called I'm leaving that does all those right. things or, or leaving yeah, home. But you can't, you can't do that. Automate the trigger to, to, of, of doing the door to trigger that scene. Yeah. There, there are no automations for uh, the HomePod, unfortunately. Yet. Yet. I, I have to imagine that HomePod and um, Apple TV integration are coming. But as I've said before, um, you know, I, I want to see all devices integrated into whether you call it HomeKit or Siri or whatever. The lines should inevitably be blurred, right? I should be able to tell my HomePod to send directions to somewhere to my phone. It'll show up on Apple Maps on my phone. I should I should be able to tell it to do something on my Mac if I want. Like, why not? I, I don't understand why I can't do that. It should be platform agnostic in terms of the ecosystem. Right. And right now what happens is you give a command that would work with Siri on your phone mm-hmm. And HomePod doesn't know what to do with it and doesn't know enough to pass it back to the phone that can handle right. it. And and that's silly. That's just silly. Yeah. It's the fact that it can do it on your phone and not on the HomePod. You know, I, I gave a very positive review to the HomePod, despite what the naysayers may say and people who think that it should have been split into two reviews. One is a smart speaker and one is just a speaker. Okay. Good luck with that. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the real thing for me is... I'm trying to talk to this thing and it doesn't understand half the artists that I want to bark at it. <laughs> so it's like, and I've just d- defaulted to just using my phone or, or iTunes on my Mac to play music to it because it's just, it, it's not worth it for, for, for the music right now. It has to have some sort of ability to learn artist names and stuff, uh, but it's great for, for home kit stuff and, and it should expand and, and integrate with my phone and my Mac and my Apple TV. And I think that that stuff is inevitable, and whether they do it as expanding Siri as a service or they expand HomeKit or I don't even know that it matters at that point, whatever umbrella it falls under, uh, you know, that's a real big hope for me with, you know, iOS 12 or whatever later this year. Um, really hoping that we'll see a big push not only to improve Siri in terms of understanding and learning, but also in terms of functionality and platform agnosticism. It, it feels like a design problem to me. Because it, it it stems from having not necessarily thought through what the solution is to having a speaker that is inevitably a multi-user device because it's out there in the open and listening and multiple people can interact mm-hmm. with it. And your phone that is currently a single-use personal device, your phone is yours, other people's phones are yeah. theirs. And so there's this contradiction between those two contexts. And so when you give it the command... Should it know your voice and then send the request back to your phone? And if that's the case, then what has to happen in the design stage for it to be able to recognize those different voices and be able to process those requests correctly? I, and what happens if if it can't? Yeah, I mean, you say should it. I don't even think it's a question. Of course it should. It should, it should recognize different users. It should intelligently – you know, this is what we – when we're talking about machine learning, it's a, a heavily hyped – word out there right now in technology, but we're not really seeing the fruits of it yet. It's still a very, very, it's learning to crawl before it can walk. Um, but eventually machine learning is going to do all those things where 
hey, it can it can identify whether a food item is a hot dog or <laughs> not a hot dog. That that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I, I you know I think that uh, eventually that's that has to happen. It has to know who you are. It has to know within context what you're talking about. Uh, it has to know what device you're referring to. And it just needs to handle it, you know, that it just needs to know. And it, and and until it does, these things are going to continue to have growing pains and be very frustrating. But I have to tell you, it plays fantastic podcasts. I mean, I, I, I heard you tell me from one of our listeners that you can sit and listen to Apple Cider news all yeah, day long. Yeah, uh, some people in the comments. The, the finest, the finest in that beverage of the gods, that golden drink <laughs> apple cider the apple cider podcast is excellent yeah when i read my home pod review some people in the comments said that they were asking siri for the apple insider podcast and it says okay playing the apple cider podcast and then one of our listeners on twitter <clears throat> the other day josh holm tweeted at me and said the same thing uh, <clears throat> apparently austin and abby host a uh, podcast about apple cider and uh, if you ask your home pod to play this is, is what you get and and you know, I'd forgive it if it just happened once and then, you know, Siri and, you know, the onboard intelligence systems and storage and all that learns and goes, oh, okay, they don't want the Apple Cider podcast. They want the Apple Insider podcast. And then it would intelligently know because how many people are going to be listening to both of those, right? Um, so, okay, you get it wrong the first time. The intersection is pretty incredible. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like we need to go ahead and have Austin. Yeah, let's get them on. on let's show. find out. Let's see. They're, they're stealing our listeners. They probably, as soon as the HomePod came out, saw their, saw their <laughs> listens spike up. They're like, we only, we only got 30 people a week <laughs> listening, and now all of a sudden we got 300. What's going on? Um, yeah, I, I think that um, uh, it should know. You know, I, I've had the same problem with artist names. Like, I wanted to play La Luz, L-A-L-U-Z, and it just doesn't understand it. It just, it, it does not understand it all. And my wife tried to do the same thing the other day. So we just saw that band last week and she wanted to listen to it. And she texted me and she said, I told it to play La Luz. And it went on to play the song, Hell Looks a Lot Like L.A. by uh, Less Than Jake, which not even close to the same genre. It doesn't even sound similar. I mean, I guess L.A. sounds like La. I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it was just... I constantly am having issues with understanding artist names and what I wanted to play. So I've pretty much just given up on using it for playing music in that respect. And I'll just control it with my phone. I had some people over at my place on Sunday and just pulled out my phone, chose it as an airplay speaker, played music. And it was great. And, you know, the folks that were here were saying, oh, yeah, you know, the sound really fills the room. They, they really like the speaker. They thought it sounded great. It's just don't don't try to talk to it. Which to me feels criminal because that's right. part of what it is. But if it doesn't understand my artist names and I'm just getting frustrated with it, I'm just going to pull out my phone. Right. So that's that's your uh, review with two different scores. Oh, yeah. Speaker, mm -hmm. 100%. Voice control, yeah. don't bother. Yeah, for HomeKit, it's great. If you listen to, uh, you know... Um, the Beatles or something. I'm sure it figures it out. My, my guess is if you listen to a lot of um, uh, radio stuff, popular stuff, it's probably gets it uh, because that's probably what they're testing for. And that's probably the m most users. That's probably the most, who's going to be most upset. You know, we used to ask this question, what's on your yeah, iPod right. kind of thing, right? As a way of, of seeing whose music you were listening to and what kind of things you're into. And it sort of was a way of, of, of getting an insight into your, your yeah. tastes. What's on Eddie Q's iPod? <laughs> uh, a lot of dad rock. He, he listens to um, REO Speedwagon and uh, uh, Kansas, some CCR. Dust in the wind. 
Maybe if he's getting daring, ago. he listens to the band. Mm. Oh, up on Cripple Creek. Yeah, that'd be a good one. <laughs> I like those bands. I'm not I'm not trash. I'm just saying that's probably what Eddie, Eddie Q listens is, to, would be my guess. Yeah. We ought to ask. Find out. We ought to find a way he, to ask. We should file a request with Apple PR. What's on sticks. Eddie Q's iPod? I'm actually seeing right. sticks oh, this good. summer. I So I, I got a, a Living Social offer, and... I, I, there were three bands playing on the line, headliner, uh, rather three bands playing on the roster, and it's Styx, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, oh, and there you Tesla. Go. Now, I, I gotta admit, I haven't really cared about Styx in in decades, and I my only experience with Tesla was that I I ran into them as they were going into their hotel, and I was coming out after an after prom <laughs> event in high school a thousand years ago, um, and they were like they they they. It was one of those weird things where they were like saying, don't you know mm-hmm. who I am to me? And, you know, I was like, no, I don't know who you guys are. We're Tesla. And they gave me a freaking oh, Tesla man. band yeah. hat. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Um, but my my daughter, who's been on, uh, we've been mm-hmm. on her yeah. program, on her podcast, she loves Joan Jett and has for years. And so I'm taking That's my awesome. daughter to see Joan Jett. Joan Jett's great. I love Joan Jett. That'll be a fun show. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you'll see Eddie Keith I'm there. looking forward to it. Isn't he? Isn't he that a Duke cool. basketball fan? There you go. Uh, he's so a Duke graduate. He's a Duke. So maybe alum. he'll be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be incredible. So you're as we were talking about betas and things in music. One of the things that you've been looking forward to is the music controls coming back to the. Yeah. Apple Watch. So I've been using uh, the beta on my watch and uh, and my phone, and it is a welcome change. It's a, it's and it works great. You know, if you're playing something on your phone, the controls pop up as before. If you want to go back and browse your music library, you can. If you want to manually choose music on my iPhone, you can do that. It's an option. It just makes sense. It's just like. It was one of those things that I don't know why they they did it the way that they did. I don't know why they removed it. It pulled pretty basic functionality. It wasn't a huge issue for me because, you know, I'm mostly running with just my watch and not bringing my phone. But uh, for those people, it was kind of annoying that we're primarily streaming music from their phone because they want to browse their whole library. One of the things that happens in development, when you radically refactor a whole product, sometimes things break. And when they break, you you can either fix them or you can turn them off so that you can ship and then bring them back later when you've managed to resolve the problems. And, you know, the, the idea of Unix and the way that things are lined out is supposed to make things a little bit less mm-hmm. interdependent like that. But when you use shared libraries and you rely on shared code within a system, you, you get those dependencies and, and things break. They do. And on top of that, there are people who worry about code aging. And so there's the the idea of replacing something because it's old. And we've seen that happen with macOS years ago, right? The the whole um, MDNS mm-hmm. Responder debacle where MDNS Responder is, is the heart of rendezvous or bonjour. And it's, it's basically the implementation of ZeroConf that allows things to detect each other. And so your printers can be auto-detected and set up or, you know, it, it allows... Uh, it defined things like your iPhone for handoff and stuff like that. And that got replaced with a, a piece of replacement code and it ended up screwing up Wi-Fi as well. And so they ended up actually rolling back and returning and restoring MDNS Responder. So things sometimes get replaced because they're old. They get replaced because they they need to be updated and, and refactored anyway. 
And I, I can see why they took these controls away. You'd think, well, gosh, it's not impacting anything. They ought to be able to keep that alive. Yeah, yeah. But I think that uh, I'm glad to see it's coming it was back. Kind of an oversight on their part, maybe, maybe because of uh, iCloud music streaming and and uh, issues between is your uh, wireless head are they connect wireless headphones connected to your phone? Are they connected to your watch? You know, it creates some confusion. So they just figured we'll make the watch the primary music playing device. But obviously, that is not ideal for everybody. So, yeah. Now, the watch is is one of these things that has been really surprising in terms of health. You know, it's it's been a device that's saved people's lives in terms of heart health. It's been a device that's connected to uh, meters and, and sensors necessary for uh, glucose monitoring and insulin monitoring. Um, it's, it's a device that's had a huge impact on health, and I, I think it's only going to grow. And this is interesting in contrast to a leaked memo that suggests that Nokia's health business is unhealthy. So Nokia bought Withings mm-hmm. a couple of years ago for $192 million, And it, it looks like from this note that Nokia is, is now having Yeah, uh, it sounds like that business is not going very well. And they're transitioning um, to the things that do make them money. So... You know, they have a whole ecosystem of, of health products and also connected home products uh, under the, is it Withings or I always called it Why, why Things? Well, Why Things is the correct pronunciation because it was supposed to be Wi-Fi Things. Yeah. Um, I, I always called it Withings. <laughs> okay. I was wrong. But it's it's Well, it's whatever you want to call them. Um, they've had some interesting products over the years. You know, they have a, um, a Apple Health Connected Scale that will uh, automatically own one. Actually, I own two of those. It, it automatically imports uh, data into Apple Health, uh, which is cool. Um, and they also have, you know, watches and other fitness-focused things. Heart, heart. I have three of those heart watches. monitors yeah. and, and such. Um, uh, thermometers. Mm-hmm. They have a, a really cool thermometer where you hold it up to your forehead and it lights up and displays the temperature in LEDs on, on the thing. Um They've they started with the uh, blood pressure cuff way back when they were also going to get uh, into the home kit game, but then they had a lawsuit with Apple and then canceled the, the camera they were going to release. But uh, I have the non home kit version of that camera. I thought maybe after the lawsuit was resolved that, that that it would actually come out. But now it sounds like they might just be getting out of that business entirely based on this memo that came out. Um, just sounds like the business is not doing very well and they wanted to kind of. Uh, soften the blow for employees to let them know that they're probably going to be pivoting, and and this is this is unfortunate um, for Apple fans uh, especially because um, Nokia under Withings has been uh, really the number one supporter of Apple Health and the health platform and connecting with health devices. Um, you know, I would say outside of the Apple Watch, Nokia is really where you would go if you want um, health data. Uh, tracked on in, in apple health not not manually entered and uh so if they get, if they step out of that space that's definitely going to be a blow for the apple health platform definitely and the person managing nokia's strategy here says in the memo rather than only falling in love with our technology we must be honest with ourselves and and is writing this down as a learning experience mm-hmm. basically for me what it looks like is that they have so so they have phones branded as nokia but are actually made by um some other company whose name escapes me at the moment, HMD Global or something like this. And they're in love with the idea of becoming a business-to-business licensing company, basically. 
They, they are, they're going to do less consumer products. If they're going to have a consumer product, it's going to be a basically a licensing exercise. Um, kind of like the way that Polaroid is a licensing exercise these days. Right. Right. Polaroid as a company makes absolutely nothing. What they do is they sell the Polaroid brand to other people who make things and then put it on their product. And then Kodak is just a patent troll, so... Well, Kodak is doing that, but I'm I'm waiting to watch and see what happens with Kodak's cryptocurrency thing. <laughs> Jeez, you saw that they announced that at CES, didn't you? Well, I know, and 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 Long Island Ice Tea became a blockchain company too. So, yes, they did, but they are mining <laughs> like crazy. And actually, Atari launched their own coin um, last yeah, well, this week. This is pretty stupid and going to come crashing down. So, well, it's like it's yes like a, no, it's like right? a clever the, the thing- Kickstarter. It is and it isn't, right? The thing to look for is do these coins actually have any utility at all, or is it simply a way to grab cash from people? It is the latter. Well, Atari is going to use their token as in-game currency across their online gaming platforms. Okay, and what are those again? Um, Escapes me because I'm not a big Atari or a big online game platform guy. It's Infinity something is is the name of that I've never even heard of it. And Uh, I, I get press releases from them announcing they have like a new console coming out that they they've been teasing or whatever like i think it i don't know if it plays retro games or whatever but i don't i don't know what that company does they're they're not the same atari someone just bought the name and is doing something with it um well so there's a french company that bought the name and then nolan bushnell was going to try and buy the name back from them and that's the step that i haven't followed to see is did bushnell buy it back or not or is it still well i've never heard of their online gaming platform and if you're investing in atari cryptocurrency or initial coin offering from them then you deserve the money that you are about to lose (laughs) yeah infinity networks is partly owned by atari okay and what does what do they do that's a good question. I'll tell you in a second here. Well, this this is telling itself. When you Google Infinity Networks, it's not clear that um, theirs is the top link. That looks like some telephony okay. system, which is already Wait. bad. D- Disney Infinity's on there, and uh, the Infinity Gaming Network, Marvel's Infinity Gauntlet, Buzz Lightyear. I don't know. Shall we just move on then? Let's move on. Sure. <laughs> that was a nice little exercise. So the the thing is that. You're right. If if why things goes down or why things exits the uh, the Nokia exits the the health space, mm-hmm. this is a big loss for people who use Apple Health and use these why things devices as a way of collecting that health data. You know the other ones out there are iHealth. iHealth has, and this is just my own opinion, is is has always felt like they were playing second to to why things playing first in terms of device quality, mm-hmm. app quality, and and things like that. Um, it's it's a tough call. Where would you go for these kinds of things? Yeah, you have some products out there where a company will make like one or two, but they don't really have a whole suite of health products the way that Nokia does with Y things. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, there's a company that makes a, a heart rate monitor, like a chest strap that that I reviewed a few years ago. Um, uh, Wahoo. That, yes, Wahoo is one of those. Yeah, uh, they're, they're still around, right? Yes, they are. Um, and then uh, I'm also thinking of uh, BAC Track makes the blood alcohol mm-hmm. level uh, breathalyzer, um, and that connects to Apple Health as well. Mm-hmm. And that's actually um, sold in Target retail, if you can imagine. Right. And it's a pretty cool product, actually. Uh, but, you know, it's just basically a one-off. Um, you can buy a Apple Health-connected Bluetooth model if you want, or they just have, you know, basic ones, whatever. But it's not a whole suite of, uh, of health applications the way that you have with Nokia and Wythings. Right. And 
you know, Under Armour tried to do this uh, a year ago where they were going to make a health box and the health box mm-hmm. had the scale and had the fitness tracker and had the whole thing. And that was mm-hmm. going to be Apple Health Connected. And, you know, they're, they're in trouble as well. They, they made the thing. It didn't succeed because who's going to pay, you know, 350 bucks or whatever it was for this box of all the goodies. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it seems like if you're getting into this space as a consumer, it's one of those things where you buy the one thing first and then buy it from that company again, your repeat customer, rather than buying all in at once. I wonder if this is a space where, as you said, Under, Under Armour, a space where Nike could jump in. Um, no, Nike, dear God. Well, but they have a close relationship with Apple. I mean, remember that they killed their band before the Apple Watch launched because yeah, they, they did. didn't want to compete with Apple. They, that's what I was thinking of. But they killed it well in advance of the Apple Watch launch. Like because it, someone at Apple told them about it, and they just said, okay, well, we're going to get out of there. They, they work very closely. Isn't somebody from Apple on their board, too? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have a very close relationship. And so that's one of those things where I can't see Apple, you know, making a scale or stepping in to buy Y things or something like that. But maybe maybe Nike could and then partner with Apple and make sure that it has very tight integration. I mean, they're already partnering on the Nike Plus Apple Watch. Um, I use Nike Run Club on my watch. I think it's a good app. Um you know, I th- that would make sense to me. You know, it would have it would tie into the Nike ecosystem, but also the Apple ecosystem connected, and they wouldn't have to compete with each other. But you know, it'd be preferred preferred devices. Yeah, I'm just still burned by Nike killing off the fuel band and losing all my fuel points. That should have integrated, gone back into Apple Health. It never did. It never integrated with Apple Health. It never did. They were always their own silo. Hmm. They that's not entirely correct. Towards the end, they launched an API and had hackathons where people could try and do interesting things with it, but it never, never integrated. All that data lost like tears in the rain. (laughs) Speaking of HomeKit, so this is one that Malcolm wrote up. Netgear has had their Arlo camera series for a year or so now, Mm -hmm. and they are adding HomeKit compatibility to the Arlo Baby Smart HD monitoring camera, which is a mouthful of a product name. (laughs) And and what they're making is a, a baby camera that is based around their Arlo platform and they're giving it feet and they're giving it hats that, that either look like bunny ears or cat ears or dog ears and turning it into something cute to put in the nursery. And, um, you know, you set it up, you put it in a home kit and you can say, Hey Siri, show me the nursery mm-hmm. and it will bring up the captured screenshot alongside all the other devices that are in there. You can go ahead and, and tap and see the live view and you can view that on the big screen with a, a current Apple TV. Pretty cool. You know, th- this is priced at $199. And some people might balk at the idea of paying $199 for a baby monitor, essentially. Right. And while you can certainly get things more affordably, new parents are an easy target market for spending money on their kids. Right. You know, the 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 last thing you want is to be paranoid and blame yourself for not spending the money on the additional thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when my, when my kids were young, when they were just born, we had, uh, sensing pads that sat under their mattress. And if they didn't move, we got alerts that they, the, the kids were not moving because, you know, even if you're sleeping, you're supposed to move a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and this was supposed to be sort of like a, a sudden infant death syndrome warning kind of sensor. Uh, it, it would definitely alarm when they did not move. So in terms of that, it functioned, mm-hmm. um, my kids didn't die, so I, I'm <laughs> well, there you I, go. Success. All things, all things equal. I'm feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> there you go. Nice. 
You know, but baby monitors are, are terrible, right? They cost 50 to 60 to 70 bucks easy anyway, and that's mm-hmm. just for the 900 megahertz audio nonsense. Mm-hmm. They're, they're crap. They really all are. And so 200 bucks gets you a camera and you can have two-way is good. Having it as a part of HomeKit, it makes it better. Because one of the things you're worried about when you put something around a child like that is security, you know? Yeah. If you have an internet-connected camera device that has two-way audio and it gets hacked and you have strangers shouting obscenities at your kid, that would be bad, right? Mm -hmm. If you have the camera and strangers can see the video, that too would be bad, Mm -hmm. right? So... These you have to pick a company that can be trusted to secure things. You have to pick a company that's using devices where you can reset the passwords on things, as opposed to devices that have passwords burned into them in the firmware. Mm-hmm. Right. That was the uh, the the botnet hack from a couple summers ago. Right. Using HomeKit coming from Netgear, this seems like something that is interesting, and we're going to get Roger to get one of these and take a mm-hmm. look at it and and tell us about it. Yeah, it's good to see more HomeKit options out there. I reviewed one of these cameras once and my wife put a cup on top of it so that it wouldn't creep her out. You know, my wife has talked about uh, unplugging the Alexa and the Google Home devices because they, they the idea of device listening kind of creeps her out. And she was fine with it. She was totally fine with it until one of our friends came over and said that she the, the friend said that she'd turned off Siri on her iPhone because it creeped her out having a phone listening to her like that. And so now I'm like smacking my forehead saying, "Really?" And and yeah. I don't I don't trust them. I I know no. you don't. But you trust Siri on your home. I have no reason to trust Amazon. I have reason to trust Apple. Yeah. Amazon has every reason to listen to me. Well, I tried voice ordering yesterday and it was complete failure. (laughs) And the advice that I got from another friend who who does this kind of stuff uh, was that if you order things that you've ordered in the past, then chances are good that it will work. If you try and order things that you have not ordered at all in the past, chances are that it will fail miserably, which it did. Well, at least it learns then. That's better than, than HomePod. Well, there you go. Speaking of these kinds of things, there's a rumor that says that Apple's going to upgrade the AirPods. And the point of this upgrade is going to add the Hey Siri functionality to AirPod and better water resistance. Yeah, um, this is a Bloomberg report. Uh, Some of it's pretty obvious. Apple product will be updated. Here is the low-hanging fruit that they could uh, target. I'm shocked. Yeah, the the water resistance is, is kind of funny to me, too, because... Although Apple never advertised water resistance with uh, AirPods, uh, the subsequent um, torture tests that were that the headphones were subjected to have shown that they are very water resistant, can be completely submerged in water and still operate fine. So, and I've never heard of, of all the problems that people have with AirPods. I've never heard of anybody sweating too much to short them out, which used to happen with iPods and other stuff. So, um, the the water resistance part of that story is a little odd to me. You know, I don't really see what more needs to be done aside from, you know, if they wanted to have completely submerged in a pool or something like that while you swim, which wouldn't stick in your ear anyhow. Hey, hey, I reviewed a waterproof iPod and swimming earphones right. years ago for mm-hmm. our site. So there is use. That's that's fine. They just wouldn't stick in your ears with, with AirPods no. from the friction. But anyhow... Um, I don't understand the increased water resistance, but uh, I do understand uh, Siri functionality and maybe a, a superior wireless chip, maybe better battery life. That's all low-hanging fruit that you could say about basically any Apple device. Oh, they're going to make it faster and make it last longer and make it thinner. I mean, okay. <laughs> you know, so. Can they make the watch thinner? Because I kind of go for that. Yeah, you know, the watch keeps getting slightly thicker every time. Um 
I think the watch definitely needs to to get thinner. It's it's not particularly heavy or, or bulky, but you know it, it would be good to be thinner. I agree. It's a little tall. It's a little portly. A little bit. A little bit. It's not too bad. It doesn't. It doesn't really stand out to me in any way when I see it on somebody else. Um, I, I. I don't think it's too bad. But yeah, definitely, I think that's an area where they could get thinner. And also, uh, you know, some people are going to groan when they hear this, but offer a circular watch face option. Um, my wife uses her Apple Watch every day, and she has been. She she asked me because she wanted to get the stainless steel one for the Series Three with LTE. And she was, because it's expensive, you know, it was like $700 or something like that. And she's like, do you think they're going to do one with a circular watch face next year? Because if they're going to do that, then I'll just wait a year and I'm not going to spend, you know, $700 on this watch. And I said, I don't think so. But like, she really wants it. I, I have a, a friend who's a big um, um, Apple user, you know, totally invested in the ecosystem, but she got a Android Wear digital watch uh, because it was a circular watch face and it was a nice dressy watch. It was a Michael Kors. And so... Okay, that's one of the fossil ones. Yeah, and uh, uh, that was why she got it because it had a circular watch face and it had a big, you know, chunky men's style um, watch, you know, rose gold and all that. You are so gender specific there. What's wrong? No, that's with you? what they call it—a men's style watch. Anyhow, um, uh, it it's, the reason that she got it is because it had a circular watch face. So I think Apple's missing out on a market there, from my anecdotal experience. Um, I don't care. I would probably stick with the square watch face. Uh, there would obviously be some interface designs that would have to be changed, especially the edge gestures and stuff would be a little bit more tricky with a uh, with a circular design. Uh, but I think that they should probably try to make, find a way to make it work because it, clearly there's a market for it. Yeah, the, the circular thing. So Huawei did one of the best circular watches for mm-hmm. Android Wear. And and as you say, Michael Kors has done it. Casio has done it. The, the Tag Heuer Connected has mm-hmm. done it. The, the the Moto was the first one, but the Moto was the shameful one with the flat tire part yeah. of the display. The, the thing about a circular watch is that all of the information you actually relate to lives at the center of it anyway. Right. And so you end up with a circular watch that doesn't really take advantage of anything really outside of the square. You just get extended background, basically. But, you know... It- you're, not, you're, you're, you're not putting useful information over in the semicircle at the side of the screen. I, I agree with you and I understand, but you're thinking about it from a gadget perspective and these other people are thinking about it from a fashion perspective. You don't get into the t-shirt Absolutely. business and just sell V-necks. You don't get into the suit business and just sell double-breasted jackets. Like you have to have options. And the, certainly the bands are a great way of having options and dressing it up and dressing it down. But I would like to see Apple expand the lineup in ways that go beyond that. And I think that having a circular watch face would be a great option. I could personally see myself having a dressier stainless steel everyday watch and then having a cheaper, uh, you know, LTE connected uh, sport watch and just using two different models and swapping them out for different use cases. Uh, You know, you could see, you know, you wear your dressy watch during the day, you come home, pop it on the charger, swap it out with the run watch, go run with that, come back, shower, swap them back, and then for a night out. You know, that, that that's a yeah. use case that makes sense to me. For somebody who wants to track their sleeping at night, you could just have a, a model that you wear when you sleep. You know, keep last year's model around. Uh, you know, Apple does support multiple watches with one phone, so. Here, here's the thing that I think is a miss for Apple with this, is that they are so married to the idea that they control the interface and they make sure everything is is up to their standards of perfection and beauty that they're missing one of the things that made Pebble so popular and one of the things that makes Android Wear popular. And that is user customization of watch faces. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you, you can select from 
a lot of prepackaged watch faces that you may be able to add widgets to on Apple, and that's as much as you get to customize right. your Apple Watch. But there are, just like people used to theme Winamp or or uh, create other themes for software, there, there were a number of watch skins and watch faces that were made for Pebble that were completely unique and got people really excited about wearing that watch. And the same is true of Android Wear. You can wear unique custom faces for that. And being able to customize what you're actually looking at in ways that delight and entertain you is kind of a miss. But you don't necessarily want to go down that road either, because Apple wants to make sure that mm, the watch face does not get too ugly, because that tarnishes the the same reason they don't do widgets on the on the lock screen on the phone. It's hard to do that kind of stuff or animated icons or anything like that, right? All that crap you can get on Android. I mean, you've all... Yeah, I said this is Johnny Ive saying he's got to be just as beautiful as he expects. Well, but of. I mean, you've, we've all seen it, right? Somebody's got an Android phone and they've got 8 million things installed and there's all these icons up in the top menu bar. I mean, it just, it looks atrocious and there's like a million of them up there. And, the ridiculous notification. Of yeah, the and, yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, people just... If it left to their own devices, we'll do that and just make it ugly and, and ruin the experience. And they and they don't even realize that they're doing it because they're just installing stuff and they don't know how to turn it off and whatever. And how could you expect them to? But then that becomes like a, a it, it almost makes me anxious when I see it, right? There's just so many things in the menu bar. And it's like, why, why is that all up there? Why, who needs that much information displayed in front well, of them once? I think we're getting a little far afield because that doesn't happen on Android where the no, same but way. But I'm just saying so one of the things the, that I do in general. Right. One of the things that I, I do besides Apple Insider is I also write for a wrist, wristwatch blog, forgive me, a mm-hmm. wristwatch blog called Wristwatch Review. And I, I used to write for a blog to watch. And someone, one of the artists there made a, uh, a commemorative, you know, we've been doing this blog for 10 years kind of thing, uh, picture of a watch movement that had our names written on it as if they had been engraved. And one of the readers took that and turned it into an Android Wear mm-hmm. watch face. And it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And the idea that I could have a, a watch face on an Android Wear watch that had a working image of a movement going around that had my name on the watch, it was but really if, nice. But if Apple opened a watch face app store, you know that it would just be flooded with a bunch of junk. It would just be a bunch of like new, the yeah, it would be a bunch apps. of New England yes. Patriots logos and like, you know, it just, it would be like, just, it would be hell on hell on your watch. It would, it would be bad. So that's why Apple hasn't done it. They're eventually going to have to do it because there's again, demand for it. At some, at some point you have to give consumers what they want, but I can guarantee you that it will be heavily curated and they will make sure that when you do access the watch face app store, that the ones that are featured will be nice ones and classy ones and ones that, uh, don't, you know, make your device look like a joke. And I mean, you could, to some extent, do it right now, you know, with the photo mode on it. You can put your own photo on there. And if you really want to, you know, have a photo of uh, LeBron James or something on your watch, then you can do it. But uh, I think that, you know, that's why. Can you have an analog handset over the top of your photo? You cannot. Ah, see, that's a failing. If I could do that, then that's basically allows you to create the watch face you want without any widgets to it. Yeah, but it would work. You, can, you can do a digital watch face totally with work, one actually. widget. Uh, and the date, I believe, is what you're limited to on the watch. The date in one widget. Mm. Okay, but I, you know, it's it's one interesting. Each time we get the uh, you know the advert that they ran during the the Olympics that talked about uh, the people whose lives were saved yeah. by the Apple Watch, things like that, and the stories that we've had in the news, both the the uh, the the heart sufferer, the heart attack sufferer who had the watch notify him to go to the hospital or the woman who was hit in a car accident recently and was able to use it to call mm-hmm. for emergency help. 
you know, each time I, I mention one of those to my family, my wife's like, you're going to have to get one of those Apple watches, aren't you? <laughs> She, she, it's, and it's not, it's, I, I'm actually characterizing it wrong because it's not like she's saying you want one, don't you? She's saying, I think you're going to have to have one now. She's like, she's pushing it on me, which is a reversal <laughs> for us. I, I've been very happy with my Apple watch. I, I will continue to get new models as they come out. And, uh, I think that it's a good emerging platform. I think that, you know, it took them a few years to really get it to a point where, where I'm happy with it, but it's something that, you know, I don't leave the house without it. And, and I wish I could leave the house I with the just first it. One. I don't even want to have my phone on me half the time. Well, you're almost there. They have the cellular radio in there. So yeah, it's for four close. hours. But, yeah, I mean, with Apple Pay and everything, it's like I can go. Um, I have my YMCA card in Apple Wallet, which is saved on my phone. Um, and I have a wallet and the dock on my watch. And then I can use that and go to the gym and I just use my AirPods. And then when I leave the gym, if I want to go to the grocery store, Trader Joe's accepts Apple Pay and I have that on my watch, too. So... Um, I can do, you know, a lot of basic stuff. And then, and then I use uh, AnyList, which has a, a dedicated Apple Watch app. And obviously with LTE, that'll sync. So if I knock something off of my grocery list on my watch, then it syncs back with my phone and my iPad and everything else. Hmm. See, I've been using uh, shared notes in Apple's notes That's app. That's cool, yeah. But you can't get that on the watch, so. Ah. Yeah. <clears throat> so AnyList is a good option if you have an Apple Watch to uh, put, like, your grocery list on there, share it with your significant other. And then, um, you know, when you check stuff off, you can just do it straight from your watch. Yep. So Gene Munster's Loop Ventures found that 89% of smart speaker owners are happy with their choice. But um, most people in his survey came back and said that they use it for music, weather, and general questions rather than smart yeah, home. Yeah, that makes sense. Like I, that. I think it's... And that, that kind of jibes with what I published in my article about stacking up Google Home, Alexa, and, and Siri. You know, I had information there that, that was from a different survey group. And it found that, yeah, music's first, um, general questions second, and smart home at a distant third. Makes sense to me. I think expectations for these devices are pretty low, so people are generally pretty happy with it. You know, it's a $50 speaker. You buy it and throw it in a corner somewhere. It plays music and answers your questions. You, you know, you got it for 30 bucks on Black Friday or something. Nobody really cares. Yeah. And you, you, they're generally... You know, the questions are, are decent questions. The answers are decent answers, especially if you're just doing things that were otherwise yeah. simply Googleable, but you're looking for convenience. Now, I did create a shopping list using Alexa the other day. I, uh, instead of the shared shopping note, I just read the items out and, and said, you know, Alexa, add blank, Alexa, add blank, Alexa, add blank, and then used that as we went shopping. And it worked surprisingly well. It was brilliant, actually. So what I need is to have Siri be able to manage the, the note the same way. Yeah. Uh, it does have notes integration, but I I don't use that. So yeah, but it would be nice if it if it had third party support. Then I could say, hey, add an item to any list and blah blah blah, and then it would be you know. well. So any list has to take advantage of Siri Kit and then expose itself to Siri, and so you'll be able <laughs> yeah. to do that. Yeah, and that's really I guess the sum of this is that they're they're all sort of creeping towards getting it. That. Is you know, it's one of those things where one day you'll realize, oh, it it works all of a sudden, and it, it's not going to be like a, a switch is flipped. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite features in iOS that a lot of people don't use is um, uh, I, I don't know what it's called, but the, the share sheets integration, what do they call that? Um, that is the share sheet. Yeah. Share sheet. But there, there's like a term for it, an API for it or something like that. But anyhow, um, apps can uh, make it so that they can export from directly from one app to another. So it used to be that you would have to, you know, if you're doing something with a photo in one app and then you want to do it in another, you'd have to, um, 
uh, you would have to, um, you know, save it and then open the other app and do that. But now you can jump between apps or you can even do stuff like within the photos app, open a photo and then tap on the three dots in the corner. And then it'll show you apps that have quick integration there. So like even Apple's iMovie has one where you can do like a quick edit scrub, that sort of stuff. Um, and it's really cool and, and a great feature that has, like you say, creeping. Um, when it launched, I was excited for it and then nobody really supported it. And then developers over the years have gradually started to support it. And there's little useful ways in there that it's, you know, it's pro user stuff. It's the kind of stuff that is going to make iOS a, a true computing platform and not just a toy. Yeah. You know, we were talking about smart speakers. We're, we're still getting listener feedback about HomePod. And I'm so glad for this. I, I love our listeners for sharing mm-hmm. with us their impressions. You know, there's there's a, a listener who writes about his international use and international considerations for it, and that's the same thing that that partly came up when Dan was. Uh, remember Dan? Dan's in Berlin, so Dan Dan got his HomePod in Berlin, and he said he hasn't used it yet because he's chasing around looking for a 240 mm-hmm. volt adapter. And I I messaged him just to tell him that you know you don't need to have the voltage converter; you just need to have mm-hmm. the plug adapter. Because HomePod is a, a worldwide SKU; it's got a 240 volt compatible power supply in it. And so one of our listeners is, you know, discussing the issues that he's had just being international, you know, starting out in Chicago and then moving outside of, of the U.S. and having issues with iTunes Match because he's got a U.S. account and it's not working for him overseas. And, you know, all, all the difficulties with just trying to to maintain the way that, that things work. He's thought about getting the HomePod, but is waiting after our review. Yeah. Do you think that's a reasonable thing for him to do to, to hold off for now? I, I think so. Um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's going to get better. I have faith that it's going to get better, like I was saying about the watch. But for right now, um, it's you know, it's got some it's got some room to go. I hope that we see some announcements. I mean, obviously, you're going to have you know the inevitable AirPlay two that sort of stuff coming down the pike, but. My hope is that uh, WWDC shows kind of an overhaul for Siri uh, in a big way that would then presumably launch in September. Uh, so, you know, I, I hope that this coming fall, uh, you really start to see HomePod come into its own and, and, and become something that is worth considering. But for, you know, people like our listener, David Finley, who tweeted at me and said that, you know, he's waiting on the first update. You may want to wait for a few updates because I think the first update, you know, is going to give you AirPlay 2 and some other stuff. But I don't think that that kind of real, those kind of big changes are going to start arriving probably until this fall, probably be announced at WWDC if I had to take a guess. When one of our other listeners wrote in and was talked about, you know, the idea of HomePod and whether or not it's suitable for him. Um, you know, he's he's a little bit older than than some of our other listeners or maybe a little older than you. And he built his audio components using Dynakit back in the day. And then when he got the, the money, he upgraded from Dynakit to Macintosh, which by the way, Macintosh stuff is awesome. And if, if you've got Macintosh gear you're not using, send it here for evaluation. That would be really good. Um, I, I will I will dispose <laughs> of it properly, as they say. Um, you know, he, he, he was annoyed by scratches and ticks on LPs. And so he moved to CDs. And now he's ripped all of these hundreds and hundreds of CDs to Apple Lossless. And so he's really, really uh, enthused about the idea of HomePod because here's an audiophile speaker you can use for casual listening and background music. And his problem was that he he had difficulty getting it to play his iTunes music, that it he doesn't really want Apple Music streaming. He just wants to be able to play the stuff that he's got on CDs and is ripped. 
and he's going to end up returning his HomePod because he couldn't get it to work with iTunes right away. Yeah, you're going to hear those kinds of uh, stories. And I do thank Tom for, for, for writing in and, and sending us that email. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that's why I talked about this last week and kind of got into it a little bit in my review too. My review was very personal because the way that you use these devices are very personal. And HomePod in many ways is that kind of device where depending on your listening habits, depending on what you want it for, it might be a really great device or it might not be. Um, and yeah, and I think Apple is a little early at this too. Besides we, the, the the different things that are early about HomePod that we've talked about, when I was reading through the kinds of file formats that HomePod supports, the way that I read the document in, seemed to indicate to me that that FLAC as a lossless codec, for example, is supported in QuickTime that could be sent to the HomePod, right? But not in iTunes, for example, and so. You know, for for someone who wants to have casual background listening on an autofile grade speaker, trying to figure out, do I keep my music in my iTunes library and use AirPlay to send it to the HomePod, or do I use Flack and swind it with QuickTime? You know, it, it's it's a lot to figure out, and for me, having to figure that out feels in some ways very unApple like. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's it's a shame that they you know they would rather use Apple lossless, I guess. Well, and, and Apple lossless would be fine, except that, as, right. as Tom said, he has difficulty doing that. So, even when you're doing it the right way... You're it ripping work, it wrong. There's, there are problems here. <laughs> oh, dear God. And on that note, I have died. There was some other feedback you were telling me about from our Twitter feed. Can you bring that up? Yeah, I mentioned David, who tweeted at us, and then uh, Barton Murphy also tweeted at us and was saying that he, uh, he prefers his Sonos. Um, but he is anxious for AirPlay 2 support. And I was telling him that I don't have a Sonos one, but I'm probably going to get one um, when it adds AirPlay support because I want to have speakers with integrated AirPlay 2, and it's just a more affordable option. I can't justify buying you know, four HomePods uh, at $350 a pop, but I could justify buying two Sonos ones at $350. You know, that's two for one on that. And if I'm not using them for Siri and I'm just using them for music playback and AirPlay 2, why would I get a HomePod? You know, it's going to get me, even if it doesn't sound as good, if it gets me 90% of the sound quality uh, and I can use, you know, multiple speakers and control with HomeKit and do all the stuff that I want to do, um, then that, that works for me. And, you know, here's another one to just make it more confusing. Spotify might be preparing <laughs> to uh, make a smart speaker. Yeah, and people said Apple was late, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you well, and if you didn't have enough choices, let's confuse it more. Here's another. I mean, that's fine. I can't see this making that big of a splash. They're not a hardware company. It makes sense for them to make a speaker, but they uh, already have a number of users subscribed. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they already know who they're going to target as selling this thing to. What, right. What, why? Why does it not make sense for them to enter it? I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I just don't think it'll be that big of a deal. Okay. So here's, I'm going to recount an example from history. Okay. So as we know, Roku made one of the first Netflix boxes for TV, right? right. Yes. And the the way this happened is an interesting story. And the story goes that years and years ago, Roku was a company and the company made streaming audio devices for internet radio. Right. And they also made a device for businesses for uh, streaming digital signage. Yes. And <clears throat> I actually had 
18 of the original Roku sound bridge from way back when. I used them at a friend's – yeah, I have a friend that has an office, and he, we put these all around his office with speakers so that he could have streaming internet radio all around. And Roku was beginning to get into sort of a little bit of business trouble at that point because streaming radio was beginning to go away as a thing. People were using iPods and iTunes libraries, and it was this weird point in history. At that same time, Netflix was trying to transition away from a, a mail-order disk system to streaming video. And the Roku, the original Roku streaming video device was not engineered by Roku. It was engineered by Netflix and it was built in-house at Netflix. And what happened was that Netflix at the last moment before they shipped this device had the presence of mind to realize that if they shipped this device, they would lose all of the DVD players, all of the Blu-ray players and all of the other devices having Netflix compatibility right? because Netflix would be competing with them on the hardware. And so at the very last minute, Netflix canceled that project and gave it to Roku as the reference design. And by gave, I, I forget what the actual relationship it was, gave or sold or whatever. But the original device, and I have one of those in the other room, was actually designed by Netflix. Huh. And so here Spotify is in the same kind of position, except that the difference is that Spotify – is not on, you know, is, is, are they on Apple TV? Are they going to be on HomePod? No, they're not going to be on HomePod, at least not anytime soon, or it doesn't look that way right now. Right. And so the question is, since they don't have to worry about competing like that, you know, they're going to compete with uh, a little bit Alexa and, um, and Google Home, but Alexa doesn't care. Amazon doesn't care anyway, because Amazon is open up and, and allowing third parties to do everything anyhow. Google, it's a slightly different version of it, but you know, are, are they really worried about that competition aspect of it the way that Netflix was? No, mm-hmm. because they don't have anything to lose. Yeah, I, I think that this, <clears throat> I think it's fine for them to do it. I, I don't see it making a big splash. I don't think the market for these speakers is that big anyhow. Well, if the primary use is listening to music and Spotify is all about listening to music, then then doesn't it make sense a little bit? Sure, but they have what? How many how many paying subscribers do they have? 70 million. 70 million. Okay. So how many of those do you think would buy this speaker? Uh, even if you said it was a factor of time, if you said it was like um, 7 million. Yeah. And like I said, not bad, but it doesn't, it's not going to be a huge market. So, okay. Now, a second ago, we were talking about all the th- times that Apple Watch has helped people in need, right? Mm-hmm. We had a story. This is a slightly different version of the story. Uh, FaceTime helps save a New York woman's life after she had stroke symptoms that were spotted by the other people on her FaceTime call. Yeah. So this is cool. This is uh, a woman living in New York, was on a FaceTime call with her sister who's living in the Ma- in Manchester in the UK. And the sister recognized that things weren't right. And the sister picked up another iOS device and called her other sister who is a medical doctor. And the other sister looked at her and said, not only is this not right, hang up and go to the hospital. And... She she went to the hospital. Her speech was slurred, uh, side of her face slumping, the, the kind, kind of things like that. And the the quote here is, there is no doubt that FaceTime saved my life. If my sister had not noticed something was not right, things could have been very different. Yeah, cool story. I think so. Yeah. It's always good to hear stuff like that, technology, improving people's lives, making the world a better place. Now, if only FaceTime could do more than one person on a video call at a time. <laughs> Supposedly, that may be coming this year. We'll see. Do you remember iChat AV? Mm-hmm. 
we could do that with iChat. You could have up to four, I believe, including yourself. I, I think we need to get that functionality back. And then I had a weird skeuomorphic design where... It, it, it put them in... Uh, it changed the perspective on each one of the images, so it made you into a sort of a semicircle room kind of thing. <laughs> it was cheesy. So... It worked. I want that back. I want it back. It was good. I want FaceTime to be the open standard that it was promised to be. Uh, yes, me too. That'll never happen. But Well, speaking of people going back on their words for things, uh, Verizon in the U.S., a carrier in the U.S., had a deal with the FCC years ago where as a result of their buying, you know, for, in order for them to buy the C block of the 700 megahertz frequency band, mm-hmm. they, had, they were prohibited from locking handsets. They could not SIM lock a handset. They're going back on their word, and they're going to start locking hands. See, this makes no sense to me because nobody has a subsidized phone anymore. You're paying outright for it. If I buy the phone outright and I'm and I'm not on a payment plan with them or something, I should just get an unlocked phone by default. To me, that's criminal that they could sell you a locked phone that you own outright. Before it was like, okay, well, you know, I've got a two year contract and my rates are up or whatever because because you jacked it up. Now they've changed it and they put the cost on you directly, but you get a two year pl- payment plan. Okay, I understand that. But if I go buy the phone from Apple and my payment plan is through Apple and not through Verizon, what right does Verizon have to lock my phone? Yeah, well, so Verizon is doing it a little different. So AT and T, if if you have a phone, you have a locked phone, and they you have to have an account in good standing for so many number of days, and then it takes them fourteen days from the time you request the unlock for them to unlock it. Right. Uh, Sprint, it's locked and that's it. And if you tell them you're traveling internationally, they will do something tricky that's not a full SIM unlock, but they will sort of do this half SIM unlock to allow you to use international providers, but you cannot take it to another U.S. carrier. And T-Mobile requires something long like two months worth or three months worth of uh, being a part of having an account in good standing before they'll consider unlocking it. And Verizon's was always unlocked by default because of this agreement with the FCC. And what they're complaining about is they're saying that they're having a lot of robberies of phones in transit on the way to their stores and that one of their stores was held up. Yeah, I'm sure that's the reason. I bet that's why they're doing it. Exactly. (laughs) And what what their customer service reps are saying is that phones will be unlocked as soon as you activate it with a Verizon (laughs) SIM. But um, it, it makes me very uncomfortable because once they agree to start locking phones, then they can start changing the rules more. Right. They can lengthen the time. They can make it more difficult. And that was really always the the great attraction of Verizon was that you knew you were getting an unlocked handset by default. You can't trust these guys. They're scum. They are. But I will say something good. Um, both AT&T and Verizon, as of last year... Um, radically simplified their international roaming plans. So if you're going to be going overseas for you know less than a month, um, you can pay to have international access, not by the megabyte or or you know whatever. Uh, you would just pay per day. Nineteen ninety nine per megabyte. AT and T. Yeah, no. So it's ten dollars per day in almost every country, and um, it only activates when you use it, and uh, it gives you a full twenty four hours, and it just uses your data plan from home. That's it. Well, this has been another fantastic episode of the Apple Cider Podcast. <laughs> Neil, what flavor of apple cider do you prefer? Uh, I, 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 alcoholic, non-alcoholic? I, I mean, I prefer alcoholic, but I, I don't you know. Not really a big apple cider drinker. Sparkling? No no offense to Abby and, and the other host, but uh, yeah, not, I can't say I'm an apple fan, apple cider fan. 
Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor <laughs> Marks. I prefer sparkling apple cider or alcoholic apple cider. There you go. And um, Perry, not so much, but but the, the cider <laughs> cider, absolutely. Okay. We will be back next week with more. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're out there and you've enjoyed anything we've said or you've found great, great angst and consternation with anything, please contact us, news at appleinsider.com. Let us know. We like hearing from you. And uh, chances are we will talk about it on the air. Thank you so much. <laughs>